Hey, welcome everyone. If you're watching us online, well, actually, I'm assuming you're watching this online right now. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion on behalf of our staff, leaders, volunteers, and all who call us home. Welcome. It's so great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, last week, we kind of did an introduction to a new multi-series on the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be doing. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is the first three chapters found in the Gospel of Matthew. And there it introduces Jesus, or rather Jesus introduces his disciples and those who were listening to a new way of seeing the world, a new way of being, a new Torah or law. Now, while there were hundreds of laws given to Moses by God, we kind of know the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, right? These are the big ones that everybody's aware of. And the Jews loved God's law. But the problem was, no matter how hard they tried, and we try, they couldn't fulfill it. Their flesh did not allow them to. And so when Jesus comes, he brings a new law, a new way of living that happens through life in the Spirit. If you haven't had a chance, watch last week's message where we talked about life in the Spirit. And that the Sermon on the Mount is not something that we accomplish through the flesh. It's not an attitude adjustment. It's not an, a new way of seeing or an idyllic world. It's something that's done through his disciples who are living life through the Spirit in surrender to Jesus. It's a new way to be. When Jesus leads them to the mountainside to teach his disciples, he introduces a new way and he begins with our first series on the Beatitudes, what we're going to call the blessed life. But it is not a blessing that comes simply to anybody who lives this way. In fact, it's specifically designed for disciples. Now, as we look at this, I, I want to tell you there are some misunderstandings about what the Beatitudes are. Some people have taught the Beatitudes as self-help. That if you just simply adjust your attitude, that you'll have the blessed or the best life possible. Another example of this uh, would be some people see it as out of reach. Something unattain unattainable to us as humans. It's an idyllic world that can never be realized. But that's not how Jesus talks about it. Others sadly see it as works righteousness. That if they can somehow live up to the standard in the Sermon on the Mount, that they'll get into heaven and one that almost all Christians are guilty of, and some non-Christians, is cherry-picking. We pick verses in there we like and ignore the ones that maybe are a little too difficult. All of these approaches end up falling flat, and some are actually downright dangerous. When we look at the Beatitudes, they are a reflection of the inner life and heart of the person whose whole being has been given over to King Jesus and is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Beatitudes are not something you do, they're something you are. They're a reflection of the work that God has done in you. They are the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work and power in you and in me as disciples. So our lives always point to Jesus and the good news of the gospel. So why does Jesus start here? Well, because it's the launching pad for everything else. Until God has done this work in your heart, until the Holy Spirit has started you on this journey here, it's impossible to live out the rest. Point one, the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the world. Just last week, a couple weeks ago now at this point when you're listening to this, 
We had an uprising in our nation's capital where some violent protesters stormed the capital. That's the kingdom of the world. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not done through violence or looting or maliciousness or power dynamics. The kingdom of God is done, well, it, it's done through living a life that looks a lot like Jesus, which is why we need the Gospels, why we need the Word. It begins, the Beatitudes begin with this first one, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus begins with this first word, blessed, or blessed when you read it this way. In Greek, the word is makarios. It means blessed, congratulated, happy, fortunate, or even lucky. In other words, Jesus starts off each one of these Beatitudes with this, Congratulations. Do you realize how fortunate you are? You've been given and accepted a gift from God, a new way of being, of thinking, a new reality. You are lucky because many in the world are not, don't have it. They can't see it. They can't understand it. That's what makes you blessed. You should be happy about that. But why can't the rest of the world see it? Why can't they understand what it means to be poor in spirit? What does it even mean to be poor in spirit? Well, 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul writes this, The God, who is Satan of this age, has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. Now you'll notice it's a little g, not the big g. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Ezekiel, the prophet, and we mentioned him last week, actually says this, Son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious people. The greatest blessing, the most fortunate thing that God has done for you and me, if you are a Christian, if you are a disciple, if you surrendered your life to Christ, is that you are able to understand and see what Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes. For me, that most incredible moment in my life began one night in July of 1989 when Jesus the whole, and the Holy Spirit changed the trajectory of my entire life because the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to my need for a Savior. But who are the poor in spirit? That's where Jesus begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are they de the defeated like spiritual Eeyores who just walk around depressed and sad all the time? No. To be poor in spirit doesn't mean you walk around emotionally destitute and distraught and you have no motivation. That's not what he's talking about. Is it financial poverty? No. He says poor in spirit. Now the gospel of Luke actually says blessed are the poor. And there's a whole different reason for that. And, and here, here's the thing. If you're poor in spirit... You are completely dependent on God. And here's the part. Financial poverty does not guarantee spiritual maturity. I know lots of poor people that don't love Jesus. And they are certainly not blessed by being poor. I remember my 20s when I barely had two nickels to rub together. There was not much of a blessing there. This is not Jesus saying, hey, poor people are better than rich people. That's not what's going on here. In fact, what he's referring to is spiritual poverty. The poor in spirit are those who realize that they bring nothing to the table in their relationship with God. We are spiritually bankrupt. 
We have nothing in the account. We have nothing to brag about. It is only with the help of the Holy Spirit that we can even realize our need for a Savior. In fact, there is no one even in the kingdom of God who is not poor in spirit. Even if you forget it, you still are. Because only the poor in spirit can recognize their need for a Savior, a rescuer. Now, our culture is obsessed with selfies, right? I mean, we all have the perfect way. I mean, we all, if you've ever taken a picture, you always do this so you get the chin, single chin. You know, I got, I got like two chins. It's okay. But our culture is obsessed with selfies. But there's a problem with selfies. And Jesus is addressing it. The poor in spirit are those who don't take spiritual selfies, Our culture has this idea of self-reliance. I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody. Self-confidence. I can do it because I'm me. Because I'm talented enough, strong enough, brave enough, smart enough, whatever it is you think. Self-promotion. I must make sure others know what I've done and how successful I am because my worth and identity is set up there. And self-expression, I must have the freedom to say what I need to because everybody has the right to hear my thoughts and is blessed to hear my thoughts. These self, self-expression, self-promotion, self-confidence, self-reliance, these don't fit in the kingdom of God. They are people who claim to be rich in spirit rich in their own doings, but we are called the poor in spirit. And this is how Jesus lived. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. How did Jesus live? If Jesus was around today in human form, would he be taking selfies all the time? Jesus relied on the power of the Holy Spirit and the will of the Father. Do you realize that Jesus didn't even perform miracles out of his own ability? And he relied on the Holy Spirit to do that. He didn't even raise himself from the dead. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus did what the Father commanded him to. He had his disciples. He commissioned them to do ministry. Jesus' confidence was not in what people thought of him, but what the Father thought of him. Jesus did not self-promote. He promoted his Father's glory and kingdom. He elevated others above himself. The fact that we are standing here today, the fact that I am standing here today is evidence of Jesus who promoted others above himself, who encouraged all God's people, all of his children to go out and be his hands and feet in the world. He expressed the heart of the Father and the love of God. Jesus actually could self-express there because, well, he is in love incarnate. But even that, he said he came that they would understand the Father's love. Megan Dennis, when I was sharing this message with her and kind of getting her thoughts, she has this great quote. Any I am statement I make outside of the great I am comes out twisted. Well, that's such a great line. Any I am statement, I'm strong, I'm dumb, I'm smart, I'm powerful, I'm worthless. Any I am statement I make outside of the great I am, which is God, comes out twisted. Whether it is I am great or I am the worst, our identity should be found in the great I am, Jesus. To be poor in spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help help us empty ourselves before God so God can fill us with his spirit. And that can only happen when we come empty handed. 
Isaiah 64, 6 says this, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. If grace is a gift, then you and I can only receive it when we understand that we have done nothing to earn it and nothing to deserve it. We're spiritually poor. Ephesians 3, Paul writes this, 3 through 10. Listen to these words. If you want to close your eyes, just listen to these words for a moment. All of us also lived among them at one time. The them he's referring to were those who did not love God or do not love God. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised, up, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The poor in spirit are those who realize they have added to the brokenness and pain in the world and are humbled and thankful for God's grace and love in Jesus. We're humbled. We realize that we don't deserve any of this. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says this, In the same way you who are younger submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All we have to do is go to God empty-handed and say, God, I bring nothing. I'm so sorry for the brokenness and the pain that I've added. Please forgive me. And it is guaranteed that you will be forgiven if you surrender it to Christ. But here's the thing. You can only do this because the Holy Spirit has given you eyes to see and has softened your hardened heart. It's the work of the Spirit that convicts us, that helps us confess and even repent of our sins to even trust in Jesus. R.T. Kendall says this, Brokenness is when we recognize we have no bargaining power with God. But then something amazing happens. And I mean it's truly amazing. King David wrote this in Psalm 51. This is the psalm that was written right after David was confronted about his rape of Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. His best friend confronts him, or sorry, his uh, prophet confronts him. And basically, once he realizes what he's done, in Psalm 51, verse 17, he says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. We have a God who loves us. You may have heard me say this to you before. God doesn't just love you. He's crazy about you. And when you come to God in confession and acknowledging that you have caused him pain and the world pain, maybe even yourself, he forgives. That's right. 
God will never deny forgiveness to a person who is truly repentant, who comes with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Even the worst of sinners, even those that we think don't deserve God's grace, it's there. There is nothing that you can possibly do to make God love you less or love you more. There is no sin too deep that God cannot pull you out of it through Christ. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. The ways of the world ultimately lead to death. The ways of self-promotion, the ways of self-confidence, of thinking that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that you can do it on your own, that will ultimately lead to death. Physical and spiritual. Yes, that's what hell is. Hell is filled with people who were convinced they didn't need God and could do it on their own. But God doesn't just leave you there in your brokenness or in your emptiness. He fills you with the Holy Spirit and promises you and gives you the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pastor James Montgomery Boyce says this, there must be an emptying in our lives before there can be a filling. We must become poor in spirit before we can become rich in God's spiritual blessings. The old wine must be poured out of the wineskins before the new wine can be poured in. We must come empty-handed so that God can fill us with his riches, with his grace, with his spirit, so that we can have the kingdom of heaven here and now. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, I want to give you two quick answers. And I promise they're quick. First, the kingdom of heaven is something you receive. It is the forgiveness of your sins, a new identity, a new spirit, a new heart and a new mind. It is eternal life with Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit living inside of you, giving you strength and power. It is all the riches and blessings that come with being a son and daughter of King Jesus. That's where it begins, but it's so much more than that. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. That means right now, right now, right now, at this very moment, you are blessed. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, which leads me to the second part of this. It's not just something you receive, it's something you bring. You bring the kingdom of heaven when you have it in you wherever you go. It is our calling to bring God's will here on earth as it is in heaven. It is the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to see the world as it should be, not how it is. To bring healing, restoration, freedom, beauty, and creativity wherever we are, whether at home, school, church, our job, our city. When we come poor in spirit, God brings the kingdom of heaven in us and we now carry that out into the world through the lavish riches of God's love. It's an attitude adjustment that happens only in the spiritual only through the Holy Spirit. The opposite of blessed are the poor in spirit. In Luke chapter 6, in his Beatitudes, he describes it as a woe. Woe to those who are rich, for they've already received their inheritance. Danger, that's what woe, woe means. Danger, beware, look out. Picture, you know, on uh, Lost in Space, Danger, Will Robinson. Look out to those of you who think you are spiritually rich, that you don't need a savior, that you've got life figured out. The world you have right now is exactly what you deserve. That's what you've gotten. 
sad instead of happy or blessed. Sad are those who believe they are spiritually rich and deserve something from God for they'll get what they wanted, a broken world. But what about those of us who struggle? What about those of us who are, who are Christian, but we struggle to remember that we're spiritually poor? I want to give you three quick things that'll help you if you're struggling with this. First, always remember God's grace. God opposes the proud, even those who are Christian. You are saved by grace and your need for Jesus, and you need, a, you need Jesus now to rescue and forgive you from sin and shame. Second, daily dependence on the Holy Spirit. You can ask the Holy Spirit every day to break your heart for the things that break God's. To expose and reveal those parts of you that you want to keep hidden from God. But guess what? He already knows they're there. And he wants you to live in fullness and power of Jesus. But that only happens through life in the Spirit. And third is remember that you need the gospel. I've been a Christian for 31 years now. I need the gospel now more than I did the day I first received it because it's easy for me to forget what Jesus has done for me. It's easy for me to think that now I'm spiritually rich because I live a certain way or because I believe a certain thing. I need the gospel to remind me that I desperately need Jesus. You need the gospel daily to remind you that you need Jesus. I am never too far away from God's loving arms and forgiveness. So in those moments where I do forget, when I think that somehow I'm the bag of chips and all of that, (laughs) when I think that I've figured it out, when I finally come to my senses because the Holy Spirit or a loving brother or sister reminds me, hey, you're still broken. In that moment, I humble myself and I come to the Holy Spirit and I come to Jesus and I ask forgiveness and the gospel promises it. We need these things. So here's the big challenge. Are you ready for this? I'm going to challenge you this week. Every day, if you can, if you forget, it's fine. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, to break your heart for the things that break his and, that, and to help you be the person, the son, the daughter of the king that you are meant to be in the world. If you're a person who's seeking Jesus, I want to give you an invitation. Maybe you're listening to this and you're realizing that you have come and you thought you had all this stuff to bring to God and none of it matters. None of it is valuable enough for a holy God that you brought sin and shame and brokenness. Today's your opportunity to empty it out and to come open-handed and say, God, please forgive me. I come with nothing. And then to receive. And maybe you're a Christian and somewhere along the way you forgot You forgot that you need Jesus and you've been operating in your own power and you feel like sin has been conquering you every day. Today is your opportunity to come and say, Jesus, thank you that I am poor. I bring nothing. Please forgive me for my arrogance, for my pride, whatever my stubbornness, whatever it might be, and say, Lord, help me to live in this new way. Here's the big idea, people. Are you ready? The blessed life begins by realizing I bring nothing and can do nothing to earn my salvation or God's love. I need Jesus and the Holy Spirit every day of my life. From there, we begin to move into the blessed life. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, I am so, I'm I'm reminded that even my best can't measure up. That, Lord, I strive to be more like you, Jesus, that I want to live like you and love like you, and I fall short so many times. And, God, I thank you that it's not about my perfection, but my persistence. It's not about my ability, about what I do. It's about who I am, that I am your son, and that you love me, that I am your child.
and that there are those right now who are listening, who are at this very moment are praying, some maybe to receive Christ for the first time, to receive you, Jesus. Others who have been tired and weary and have been operating in their own strength. Lord, may they be reminded that you love them and that only when we come spiritually poor can you lavish your graces and richness on us. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Fill us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May you go out into the world realizing that you bring nothing apart from Christ. The greatest gift you can bring your neighbor is the love of Jesus that he's first shown you and now you can show others. May we live humbly and walk humbly with our God and love people well. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, thank you so much for being here.